wide wonder at the joy they had found. The head nurse spoke up, said, leave this one alone. She could tell right away that I was bad to the bone, bad to the bone, bad to the bone. Bad to the bone I broke a thousand hearts Before I met you Hey folks, this is Scott with Leading Edge Archery um, Kind of keeping the podcast rolling during this crazy coronavirus time um, We're kind of uh, lucky we got a great guest on today Which I think you all are going to find extremely uh, interesting It's going to be a great conversation um, he's in the archery realm for sure, but he also does some stuff outside of it. And for those of you that follow the shop, you know we're kind of fitness freaks over here. Um, so it's it's just going to be a great show. I'm really show. excited. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce. We got also we have Bridger online with us. Bridge. Got Jason Tabanski. Still he's here. On Skype. He's in his garage. And uh, <laughs> we got Marty from Aimsize. What's up, fellas? Not a whole lot, my friend. How are you doing through all this stuff? You know, we're doing okay. Um, tough for everybody, but, you know, the world's going to come back to normal here pretty soon. So I'm just going to get through it for now and come out on the other side, I suppose. So your guys' state's not on, like, the serious lockdown, or is it? It is. So we. I live in Montana, and our state is just about to stop our stay-at-home order, supposedly as of Friday. So there'll still be, you know, some guidelines and all that, but they're they're going to lift it at least a little bit on Friday. They tell us. That's good. That's, I, I knew some of the Western Mountain states. Some of them weren't even shutting down. Really, I think was it Utah? Maybe I can't remember. There was a yeah, couple. like South Dakota seems to be on the leading edge of going back to normal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've been, I've been trying to stay off Facebook and stay off all the social media because I just get angry. So I just quit <laughs> posting, quit looking at it, <laughs> drive Bridger crazy. <laughs> he likes to go nuts with his conspiracy theories. No, it's not so much that. It's just, I don't know. Don't get me started. Just, I don't want to make this political. We're, we're trying not to make it a political show. <laughs> so. Other than that, so um, Marty, I mean, you've um, why don't you talk a little bit about how you got into archery, maybe your your longevity in the sport, and what you're doing with it today? You know, as far as uh, shooting or hunting and and that kind of fun stuff. Sure. So I am a good old fashioned amateur archer. Uh, started into archery for hunting, of course, where I think a lot of people start, and so been hunting bow hunting, I don't know, 15 years or so now and just loved it. Like like anything else archery related, I got a taste of it and just fell in both feet and wanted more nonstop to do it all the time. And so living in Montana, got a good opportunity to bow hunt a lot. And then, you know, when the season's over, then I started saying, well, what do I do now? I really like shooting bow. I want to do more with my bow. And so then randomly a few years ago, I decided I'm just going to buy a target bow for fun and started shooting that and then just got hopelessly addicted to that. And so throughout everything now, I try to make a balance between a lot of hunting related activities and fun stuff like that. And now the target world, which I really, really like. And I mean, there, there are not nicer people in the world than target archers. I can tell you that. Yeah, I agree. So do you um, target archery? Do you shoot like just the FIDA type events or 3D or are you doing a little bit of everything? I'm one of the rare idiots that really likes indoor. So I, I don't mind shooting paper. 
I like it. I think it's fun and challenging. And uh, I like doing outdoor stuff as too. I don't do so much feeder or field, um, but just a little bit, a little bit of everything for fun, throwing a little recurve here and there. It fits, you know, if it's a bow and it's an arrow, I like shooting it and like messing with it. Gotcha. No wonder, no wonder he's a supplementation. If you like indoor, you got to have some type of a brain issue. Well, heck, it's the longest in Montana. Yeah, that's true. Like eight, yeah. seven months of indoor. Exactly. Long, cold winters. Indoor is like perfect for us. Exactly. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, indoors, woo. I, it's a, what I say, it's a necessary evil like death and taxes. If you want to be good, you just got to shoot it. Yeah, I just like the challenge. It's it's like golf. It's you can never be to the point where you feel like I'm there. There's always the ability to get better, and I kind of like that aspect of it. Right. Do you ever find yourself struggling with that? Uh, what I do is I find uh, the the it has to be perfect. I mean, you, you just got to be perfect at our you know when you're shooting in those tournaments nowadays. You can't yeah. miss. And it puts a lot of pressure on you. It does. Yeah. So wow. Okay. Great. Um, so what, from a hunting perspective, you mainly hunt everything you possibly can that walks the planet in Mount Montana? For sure. If we can get a tag for it, man, I don't mind hunting it. Uh, obviously, big game is the big stuff. Elk is where it's at. Uh, hopelessly addicted to that as well. And, you know, that's really where a lot of the interest in supplementation comes as well. Because like you guys, if you want to elk hunt and be successful, you better be in shape. And you better know what you're doing and you better be prepared. And I think that's that's the biggest problem with the quote average archer is, you know, they pull their bow out a little bit before the season, they shoot a couple arrows and they say, I'm ready to go kill an elk. Yeah. And that's really not ready to go kill an elk at all. You know, you gotta be shooting your bow all the time. You have to be very accurate and you have to be ready. I mean, these are giant animals and I'm sure you've had the experience, Scott, when they're right up on you and they're bugling, um, things get real weird real quick. And it's a lot of things that are happening. And if you're not ready to do it after, you know, hiking up 10 miles, you're not going to be successful. Yeah. I've, uh, it, it's almost comical. I've watched some of the quote unquote professional hunters that I've, I've helped and taken people hunting. I don't want to use the word guide cause I'm not really a guide, but <laughs> I will go and help call and help them achieve their goals. And it's just amazing to put a, you can put a five by five rag horn in front of them, um, screaming his brains out and they turn into mere mortals very quick. It's awesome. Yeah. And like you said, that's with the rag horn. And when you have a oh. good elk, I mean, you're talking a big boy step in front of you. That's a whole different game. Oh yeah. And as you know, that's the other thing. I think the toughest thing I, I told Bridger, and I, I know he loves loves to draw blood. And I always said, if I call in a four by three or something, he's probably going to smoke it because he's just going to get so jacked up. And <laughs> I'll be over there going, no, 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 let's let him walk, and he's going to want to kill it because those antlers, no matter elk, are just amazing. They're just amazing animals. Well, I know elk and whitetail are different, but I have passed 170 inch whitetail before without even standing up in the tree well, stand. Yeah, so. okay, let's qualify this. He's from Iowa, folks. <laughs> 170 is like, you know, a raghorn six point. A 170 for him is us passing up a spike. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's from the land of the giants when it comes to whitetails. So, sorry, bro. I don't qualify. It's just a little bit of research. It's all this. <laughs> just got to know what to look for and then I'll kill it. Yeah. Well, Marty, that's a good point. So, um, you know, even myself, I'm at 51, it is the only reason I stay in shape. This is the honest to God truth. If I was not an elk nut, I would probably be fat and lazy sitting in the chair flipping channels like me. Yeah, I'm in exactly the same 
situation. It's like if it, if I didn't have big game hunting, particularly for bow hunting, yeah. where you have to be in shape and you have to be able to climb a mountain and then get back off it with a load on your back, it'd be a lot different thing, and a lot of my life would be a lot different. Yeah. So it's funny. It's a funny story when I one of my first elk hunt, I actually had went with a friend of um, he was used to be a guide in Southern Colorado, so he knew the the area really well. And I'll never forget it. I'm a ex-collegiate wrestler. I think I've been through some of the most punishing type of practice or, you know, preparation in, in, of anybody in, in any lifetime. And uh, I got in what I thought was good shape. <laughs> and uh, he took us up there. And we climbed. We went to a really unique area that was it was tough And because me and Cody, my buddy, were in decent shape. And he was older. He was probably – Gary back then was probably 47, 48, and um, just a mountain goat. We were we carried uh, 2,100 feet in two miles, and um, it was pretty vertical. It was so vertical that when we went, we were talking about getting pack horses. The people that run them said they gave us. A, I gave them GPS coordinates, and they looked at us like we were crazy. They were like, "No, we <laughs> we won't even take our mules and horses up there." <laughs> so, anyways, funny story. We got halfway up, probably a mile in. I sat down and I had a 40 pound pack on my back, and I looked at Gary and said, "I don't think I'm going to make it another step." I think I'm done. And I was literally mentally and physically, I was done. And Gary was like, you gotta be kidding me. We gotta go. You know, we got another mile and a half to go. And me and Cody both were just physically spent. You know, so yeah. it's funny to what you say. You're right. No matter how good a shape you think you're in, um, it's going to be three times harder. I mean, yeah. And you know, the opposite side of that coin is it's so motivating that that's what I really love about it. Um, it's fun to stay in shape so that you know you can do it. And, I mean, that that's the motivating part of it for me. A hundred percent. That's why I think a lot of guys will go do that a hunt like that, let's say, and they're one and done um, mm-hmm. because they don't know if they can get in the physical shape that's required to go do it and do it effectively. I've been with a lot of guys like that. But then you get the other side of the coin, the guys that go, okay, I know what I've got to do now, and I'm going to challenge myself and push you know, to be better the next year and the next year and the next year. And um, it's just, it's just an, to your point, I call elk hunting a journey that starts, I always say, I, I come back in October, I take October off and start training again in November. Yeah. It's, a, it's literally an 11-month journey for me. And, um, and you have to look at it that way because it's all part of it. It's just not going to jump in a tree stand or jump in your blind and go kill a deer. It's, yeah. it's not like that at all. So that's cool. That's a good story, though. I mean, it's... So you're you're part of the elk junkie um, nation. That's for darn sure. So you also hunt bears. I think you just said you got done bear hunting today, right? Or- yeah, spring bear hunting is happening in Montana right now. So I'm out uh, patrolling around in these times where we have a little extra time on our hands. So that's kind of nice. Don't have to be around anybody. Can just go to my spots and walk around. And you know, right now in Montana, everything is finally coming to life. There's tons of animals around and about. So it's it's a pretty awesome time right now. Gotcha. Okay, so the million dollar question: You in Montana? How about grizzlies? They are around. Let me tell you. <laughs> are you um, really afraid of them as Scott is? I'm terrified of Michael. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I I didn't used to really be scared of grizzlies. I, you know, you know about them, but when you find your first tree that has a grizzly paw torn almost down the tree then you start figuring it out. In the last couple of years in areas close to where I hunt, there have been a fair amount of grizzly attacks. 
Um, and so that started getting real, real quick. And when you see one, I think two years ago, I came within a quarter mile of my first actual grizzly that was in real life. And uh, I turned around real quick. And so, yes, I am very scared of them now. <laughs> yeah. I, I think Scott would rather shoot me in the knee <laughs> than try and stand up to a grizzly bear. I, like they, if one's coming down the pipe, he's just, Sorry, buddy. <laughs> so, a funny story. I've hunted Montana, gosh, for about 10, 11 years now, and I've always hunted down in Broadus area, mm-hmm. southeastern, Missouri Breaks, areas like that. I went on my first western slope hunt last year. We hunted outside of Butte, and those grizzly attacks that happened, those those three that were in the Beaver National Forest, they were 40 miles from us. Yeah. So, my head was on a swivel the next eight days, <laughs> and, you know, and we killed a bull up there, and it was funny. The craziest thing we're cleaning this bull at 11 30 at night and i mean we i laid a big front quarter on a on a couple of tree limbs that were bent over and off the ground well that quarter had fell off and we didn't know it but when it made that sound we freaked out i'm yeah. talking pistols drawn looked like we were freaking commandos <laughs> i almost left it i almost said dude i'm done. we're out let's just go i mean it's not worth it i mean and crazy it's not and you know when when a grizzly claims your your meat it's no longer yours <laughs> you don't own it anymore well if people don't understand the power uh we had a friend of ours who was hunting north of us and he he killed a big seven by six well i say killed it he shot it and in 45 minutes of getting the packs and everything ready to go track him they actually had this on video they sent us the film um a grizzly was on it already he mm-hmm. false charged him twice how they had the wherewithal to not shoot him is beyond me. But I've heard that if you shoot one, the paperwork, the amount of time you're going to lose dealing with the, you know, the federal people, I guess, when you shoot one is a nightmare. So um, anyways, th- then they showed it on video. This bear was ripping the rib bones off of this grizzly like they were toothpicks. I mean, off this elk hide uh, yeah. carcass. It was unbelievable. And I mean, I, you know, just phys- – and then he picked up. What's crazy, he picked up, I think, that carcass by the neck and just threw it like it was mm-hmm. a rag doll. And it takes me and Cody, two men, with everything we have just to turn one over. It's yeah. the power. They're nothing but muscle. They're, it's insane. They're nothing but muscle and anger. And so you yeah. want to be around them. I always tell guys, you know, a lot of animals have the fight or flight gene. Grizzlies have one in this fight, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> they just don't like playing around. Uh-huh. So. Buddy's dad got mauled by a grizzly bear, and he lived until about it. So did he really? Yeah, no kidding. He was walking his dog on his airstrip in Alaska, and dog took off. And he's like, "Oh man, I hope that's not what I think it is." And he turns around, and it was wait, you know, no kidding, up on its hind legs, getting on him already. Yeah, yeah. yeah did, you, it's... Uh, did you guys see that video? I I scrolled down through one of those uh, hunting pages that I follow, and there's a video of this guy that got attacked by either a grizzly or a brown bear. I forgot what it was, but like it tore his face completely oh, yeah. off his, the, the his skull. snowboarder guys yeah. up in Canada, I think. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, dude's face was just completely torn off. Yeah. And he's sitting there talking to the guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean they put everything back together. He's missing an eye and I mean his face looks pretty disfigured, mm-hmm. but he lived so he lived through a little, it. little off a little off topic. What um I imagine you strap, you carry. Yeah. What do you carry up there? Uh I use forty five. Uh, just uh, enough to maybe slow it down, uh, do whatever. But you know, a lot of the times, if you're if you're hunting with a couple people, it would it's nice to have somebody at least have a gun for that perp- or rifle, um, right. just in case. 
If not, yeah, I, I like a 45, a lot of stop and power with that. I mean, I know you can go bigger and all that, but that that's carryable. It's not crazy heavy, and uh, it'll put a hurting on something. Yeah, exactly. I think that's one of the most hotly debated things <laughs> out there. Because last year I was doing all the research knowing I was going to be on that slope, and I ended up taking Bridger's 9mm, which would have been shooting a BB gun at it. But I'm yeah. like, maybe if I deter it a little bit. I bounce pray. off of a grizzly bear. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, you can settle that debate right after you settle the debate of what's the best caliber to shoot an elk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the, or mechanical versus fixed. I've heard, yeah, there's crazy, all kinds of debates around that stuff. But So grizzlies, I'm not telling you what, that's, I don't envy you. I know there's a lot of them up there. I don't mm-hmm. know. So are you one of the advocates that you think we should be hunting these animals to get them afraid of us? So... Not for that purpose. I am a big fan of management, just like deer or anything else. If the population is to the point where they need to be managed, then let's have a draw for them. And if it, it if it's not that and they're still endangered, then maybe not. But I don't know that you need to hunt them to make them necessarily afraid of us. I'm not sure that's something that's going to actually work. But right. I'm all about if their population is so big that now we're really starting to be in danger and we need to manage them, great. Put in a special draw. And you can make that tag a $10,000 tag and people would buy it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We, yeah, we got, we got guys that go to Alaska to pay 25, you know, to yeah. hunt grizzlies. And it's, uh, I, mean, I agree with you. And, but, and I think from just hearing all the things that happen year in and year out, I mean, they need to be managed. Would you, do you think so? Or do you think there's plenty of them now? You know, I'm, I'm not a biologist. I don't know. I've, I've seen plenty, but you know, I don't know. I don't know what the populations are and I'm sure it varies from area to area. Some places don't have that many, some, some do right. and they migrate. So I don't know. I'm certainly not the expert. All I know is I'm scared of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you, so you don't, I've heard and you know, I keep up on a lot of this stuff, but the, as far as the, the killing part of it, they're not killing near as many animals as like wolves are from what I understand. Not even close. The wolves are doing way more damage and, not to turn this into a wolf podcast, but you know, the thing that I don't think non-hunters understand about wolves is, yeah, they're killing elk and stuff like that, but they're also incredibly changing their migratory patterns. And so places where you've seen elk before, elk aren't there anymore because the wolves are there and the wolves will chase them around. And where it used to be, you'd have the ability to sort of figure them out and pattern them and be able to, to really get in on them the wolves have really disrupted that. And then all of a sudden I've been on several hunts where you'll see a herd starting to filter towards an area and then you see a wolf chase them off. Whereas that probably wouldn't have happened before. Right. You know, it's funny, funny you say that state of Colorado and the Southern area, Southern units have just um, implemented a draw system for the first mm-hmm. time. You know, I'm talking across all Southern units and uh, one of the stipulations they're claiming is, is that the amount of hunters and it's no secret a lot of them are Texans we could be elk hunting in 12 hours from uh, from here in Texas and um, we are moving the migratory patterns of the elk going down into New Mexico mm-hmm. so that apparently there was a lot of discussion between New Mexico and Colorado about that very subject and I always found it interesting we are very quick to manage us as hunters but we won't manage predatory populations that need to be managed like wolves yeah. and it's just a polarizing subject because on the other side of the fence they're majestic and they are beautiful I'm not going to knock any of that stuff but um, they kill an insane amount of animals year in and year out and it was funny because they're claiming that the, the, 
we are killing calves. The calf adoption rate is extremely low in southern Colorado. And I can tell you, I don't know of many elk hunters, guys, especially bow hunters, that are shooting calves. Yeah. Most of us are pretty, we're pretty, you know, discreet about that. We're not going to go out there and just mark a calf elk to go kill for meat. And uh, and they, they're afraid to admit it, but it's the bears. The bears are the problem. Those yeah. bears are killing calves like they're going out of style. Um, so anyways, it's, yeah, that's a whole other political stuff for another <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hours about that. It's complicated. You know, there's no simple answer to it. It's it's very complicated, but I I think the the bottom line for all of it is management. If you're gonna manage one thing, we should manage all of it, which means we should manage the wolves too. You know, I have an opinion on one thing that I think that a lot of the states are doing that, you know and, and it's kinda of horrible to say, but you've got a lot of guys now that are in the um coming out of college, you'll say, with a degree in wildlife biology, and they've never shot a gun in their life. Yeah. Never shot a bow. I mean, they, they've never been hunting. You see a lot of it here and in, in, in around, and I just, for me, I think, man, those we've got to get the right people in those positions to make the right calls. Sure. Because it's a lot more than just the science. You know, we as hunters, I think, have a lot to do with that conservation, and that's one of the things that we always, I always struggle with is that people don't realize how much we actually love those animals. Yeah, we may sure. hunt, we hunt them, but we also love them. Um, you know, I've I've taken tons of deer out of fences that are hung up. You know, and if I was a predatory killer and just loved killing deer, I would have just skull capped them and threw them back my truck. But you know, yeah. I've I've cut fences to get them out, let them go. You know, so yeah. they can live another day. So anyway, that's like I said, whole other subject. <laughs> so you know, you talked a little bit about your archery background, your hunting, of course. Um, so let's talk about, you know, how did you get into the supplementation business? What happened there? Um, so it's not that long of a story, but uh, I had become acquaintances with Paul Tedford. And so we were just chatting and he had uh, the aim size product at the time. And so I wanted to find out more about it because I thought it was a really great idea. And it's something where he was trying to simplify the process, give good things to people and, and market a product. And so I contacted him and we started talking about it and I thought it was just a great idea. And, you know, back before I vision and I said, you know, I think we can, we can really do something with this. And so he and I got together and uh, I came on board and we sort of expanded the brand a little bit and, Man, I couldn't be happier. I think we're we're providing a product to to people that are like-minded people. You know, our real market is archers and people that hunt. That includes people with guns and bows and all that stuff. And what we're really trying to do is, just like Scott and I were talking about, if your goal is to be in the best possible shape or at least prepare your body and fuel it to compete or to hunt or whatever, you know, supplementation is the way to do it because – you know, we don't all have the best diet, particularly when we're traveling. And for people like you, Bridger, where you're, you're traveling to tournaments and stuff like that, I'm going to bet you don't have a ton of home cooked meals and you're not eating a ton of greens and all that. <laughs> and so, you know, that's where supplements come in and why why they're called supplements is exactly that is they supplement your diet. And so we, we really try to go out of our way to, to tell people these aren't drugs. These are not miracle pills. It's nothing like that. All we're, we're providing is very specific supplements that will help your diet and then your body perform in a, a specific task or function. And so that got me into it. I got real interested in it and it's, it's just been amazing since I've been involved. 
Yeah, for yeah. sure. I mean, it's it's just kind of cool to see. I mean, we see products in the archery industry that started outside uh, and then just kind of migrated and then worked their way in, you know, through a shooter or some or another manufacturer or something uh, with them getting a, another idea from it. But not very often do we see something that would be considered mainstream, really, because, you know, with how popular supplementation is with everything right now, um, seeing that come from within the art, not only just the outdoor industry, but the target archery side and watching that kind of migrate out is kind of neat. So I don't know, it, especially for me, just cause I've been involved in the target stuff. So, so for so long and, uh, at such a level that I don't know, it's just not something you see every day coming from the target side, moving out into the, into the grand scope of the outdoor industry. And then even outside of that. So, cause I imagine there's guys that, at least one guy that you takes aim size to you know like play tennis or swing a golf club or uh you know something along those lines where it's you know a super focus or a focus based sport um similar to archery yeah thanks so you know we we really try to make these products to where it fits the competitive lifestyle and you know something that we we're actually really careful to try not to do is get into stuff that we're really not purposed for or interested in so you know we don't sell supplements for like weight loss we're not into that kind of thing we're we're not going to give you a, a protein powder stuff like that that's not really our gig the purpose of our supplements is exactly what you're talking about and it's it's competition specific and so we and paul and i put in a lot of time to to not make so many different offers or, or types of supplements that it's sort of overwhelming and overkill but we really wanted to, to line it in and, and make it very specific for things that the competitive person, particularly in shooting sports, need. So like your focus, like the probiotic and sleep and a lot of stuff associated with travel, diet and mental preparation to to get on the line and do it. Because, you know, like all of us know, at some point you can shoot an X, but it's doing that over and over and over and over without missing that's that's archery right it's it's the ability to really try to focus in and make your body be able to do it from your first arrow to your last arrow or your first bullet to your last bullet without seeing a lot of change and right. and that really takes preparation and focus and, and working hard yeah for sure i don't it's just it's just interesting to see uh a company focus on that i don't know if anybody else that's doing kind of well, you guys are as far as a, I mean, I, there's a lot of guys doing the, the supplements and stuff with, mm -hmm. especially in the outdoor industry, you got wilderness athlete and uh, mountain ops. I think there's a handful of other ones, but, but even them mountain ops, I think came out with their focus or dialed. I think theirs is called, but mm -hmm. that's the closest thing to you guys. Otherwise don't, there's really nobody else that's doing kind of a supplement that's geared more towards the mental side of it uh, than any you know, nobody else geared, geared toward the mental side, like the way you guys are. Yeah. And that, that was really what, yeah, that's what drew my interest initially. Um, and it was frankly, Paul Tedford's idea is really, really interesting concept. He wanted to, you know, take the people in that situation that they are supplementing, they're buying a bunch of different pills that they may not even understand why they're buying them and kind of throwing everything at the wall and seeing what works. And his idea and concept was, let's make it very specific let's make a purpose for it and then deliver it in a way that isn't too difficult to do and so he he developed um the the pro focus formula which 
I'm real happy with, and I think a lot of other people are, it's, it's super competitive and it happens to be really useful in archery for both nerves and focus. So Jason, is that the, I'm sorry. The, is this the one you gave me the first time? No, Pro no, focus? No, no. no, that was, uh, uh, rock solid. Yeah. One of, one of them Marty calms me down. I'm a very intense individual. <laughs> so yeah I, I give Jason some rock solid which is you know we, we sort of market it as our hunting supplement but that that is what it does so it's an all natural anti-anxiety supplement and so the purpose of it in the hunting world would be calm you down get you level now it's not like a depressant where it's going to really flatten you out all it's intended to do is level you so that your peaks aren't as high, your lows aren't as low, just level you out. I can tell you, it's almost like a legal form of Zoloft. That stuff's amazing. No, I mean, for me, I'm a, I, I probably will take it the rest of my life because I am a, yeah, they're laughing, but I am an intense individual and I tend to get angry sometimes easy. <laughs> and uh, that stuff, seriously, it is amazing because when I'm not on it, I, I can feel the change. And I, it keeps me so much more calm. And just level-headed, yeah. Because I, so when we did when we did the rock solid, you know, I was already I was already taking the the podium, uh, I think it's the podium packet, where it's got mm -hmm. all the all the different ones, and then I added the rock solid to it, and it just it was keeping me as cool and calm. I mean, when I went and shot that oryx, I could have shot a piece of paper as as, as well as I shot that oryx. Just didn't even phase me. And when we came out with it. I was like, man, I need to, I need to restock and have this. And that was right around the time when you were getting ready to go to that ASA, and I happened to just get a bunch of extra supplements, and I was like, you know what? I think you'll benefit from this. Uh, and when you came <laughs> back, I remember you called me first when, when you were on the way over there. What, what is this? It's already making me feel different. And you came back, and he was, he was hooked. <laughs> so, oh, dude, that stuff's. I'll never be without it. I mean, I, I will. I will talk to everyone about it because it, it's amazing what it does for you as far as, you know, your, to your point, Marty, your anxiety, your, your, like I said, if I'm, I'm an intense individual, it lowers that intensity so I don't fly off the handle as easy as I do sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. And, you know, it's kind of to the point of really what supplements do. And it's, if you actually think about it, it makes sense. It's just natural things for your body and your brain to let it do what it wants to do. You know, your brain doesn't want to be full of anxiety and stress and freaking out. It wants to be level. And so these are just recipes that have been created through R&D that will allow your body to do what it wants to do and just be in a pretty level and decent state. And so this just helps you do it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've been crazy impressed with it. I know that I think it's kind of cool, too. You know, some guys say, well, yeah, you can do the, get the same stuff in a different supplement, you know, from a different manufacturer. But... Um, you know, we're archers, we're, we're supporting the archery community, and if it is tailored toward our sport, then what in the heck, why wouldn't we do it? I mean, yeah. I've used, uh, you know, Mountain Ops stuff, I've used Wilderness Athlete, I mean, there's a lot of them out there that we've, I've tried throughout the course of this journey, of, you know, a lot of it going back to elk hunting, I hate to say it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it, it, those things will make you better. I mean, there's, I don't think there's any harm in it, and plus, most of them, I think all the stuff that you have has been uh, approved by USADA as far as the competition committee. So you can legally yeah. at least. Yeah, so USADA doesn't really approve anything, right, Ridger? 
Yeah, so like I think where Scott's going is like I mean with Paul is a perfect example. He's been tested multiple times while taking the supplement. So I mean he's never popped. While it's, right. While it's you technically can't say that yeah, it's approved. Approved, I gotcha. <laughs> Man, you're not yeah. gonna you're gonna piss hot because of it, you know, with all the all the testing that Paul's done and right. The, the closest we get to it is is they do put out um, a banned substances list. And so yep. we check that and we make sure none of the ingredients that we have in any of our formulas uh, are on that. And, of course, none are. Right. So what do you know? How, you got a big percentage of archers using the supplementation if, aim size, if I'm not mistaken. Um, from We've a been very lucky. We've been very lucky. And like you said, you know, archers are, are liking to help other archers. But... I think that there's been a real revolution in archery with hunting and target archery in the last decade. And that is the fitness, just like you guys, everybody's trying to get into a little bit better shape, both physically and mental. And I mean, that's what archery is. If you're in okay shape, that's great, but it's all about the mental game. That is a huge, um, big push right now in this industry. You know, I've seen it just over the last, just say 10 years, going to ATA shows back then compared to now. I mean, everybody, okay, everybody is fit nowadays and they got a camera, which drives me nuts. But um, but it's what, to watch this whole generation because, you know, people that are non-hunters look at hunters like sitting in a tree stand with a can of beer with your butt crack hanging out and you're overweight and lazy and sleeping through half of it and not realizing there's a whole other level to the this, to this sport. And I call it a sport um, mm-hmm. that is related to physical fitness and well-being like you said and mm-hmm. the mental game of the mental challenge of just living through two weeks of elk hunting in the mountain can be extremely difficult you know i spent 30 i went 33 days last year spent 30 in the mountain mm-hmm. three days i was in colorado waiting on my ride to take me to montana and uh that's that is stressful i mean it is as stressful as it gets and supplementation is all part of this whole journey I think you know not only just the moving the iron and the running getting yourself physically fit and then you got the supplementation now and then eating right is a whole other mm-hmm. thing and look at your equipment you know getting the equipment that is tailored to you know what you're doing with it you know even as a shop here one of our first questions what are you hunting yeah we want to know that because a, a whitetail arrow is not going to go kill an elk as efficiently it can you know but not as efficiently as an, an arrow that's tailored to build you know go shoot an elk yeah, and that's that's why we've sort of tried to specialize with this revolution of, of what we're trying to do and what products we're trying to provide. You know, we, we have stuff for um, your joints and the omega-3s, and it's, it's really very directed at what do competitive shooters and archers need for very specific tasks because our sport is very repetitious, and, you know, a lot of times I, I'm assuming that a lot of people get bored, right? Shooting yeah. the same targets over and over. But that's that's why it's so hard is you've got to keep that focus in your body. It's it's all related. Your body needs to be in the right form and have the right fuel to be able to compete and keep your focus, not, you know, basically get gassed out by the end. Yeah, I, I have a saying that archers, competitive archers especially, they keep me in business because they will spend thousands of dollars to gain two points. Yeah, and, and really, that's what they're all doing. They're looking for a competitive edge to some degree, something out there. Is it the release? Is it the arrows? You know, is it supplementation potentially? Mm-hmm. Um, so I got a question. Uh, are you do you, from a company standpoint? Are you guys looking at maybe branching out into some other areas, like getting into the 
the hunting physical fitness aspect of it, the supplementation around it, like a mountain ops or wilderness athlete. Because right now there are only, if you want to count count X endurance in there, there's two right now companies that are tailoring supplementation specifically for hunting. Um, I mean, are you guys wanting to look at that game and is it something that you're interested in or? Probably not. You know, my hope for our company is that the hunting community understands what we're doing and they adopt the products that we're already providing because, you know, like I said earlier, we're not really in the business of like protein powders and stuff like that. We're in the overall fitness and mental game business. And so I'm really hoping that the hunters understand what the benefits are. And it's just like what we're talking about. The people that are taking hunting seriously and dedicating their life to hunting and making it their main motivation, those are the people that are our market. They are the ones that are gonna say, yeah, that makes sense. I do want that when I'm in my 30 day elk hunt. I'm gonna need the ability to you know, recover quicker, have more endurance, things like that. So I'm hoping the hunting community understands with proper supplementation, your hunting's only gonna get better. Right. So that that's staying more in a specialty niche market for you instead of going, you know, global. Yeah, because yeah. I, I know I, I was a big mountain ops. I know Casey um, and Jordan Harperson, the guys that help run it. And, you know, and I'm not saying anything bad, but I just, you know, they've, they've went full blown retail. I mean, they're, they're everywhere now. Yeah. Uh, and I, I sometimes wonder what that does for the quality of product. I mean, you've seen it in a lot of other industries where you go big box and, you know, you can't mass produce it fast enough to get the consumption, you know, to meet consumption and demand. Yeah. So I think it's a good idea. I think you guys staying niche is going to be maybe a, a benefit for sure. Um, and that's what, you know, our shop's built around that. That's why, I, you know, it's such a good fit for us because we we don't carry everything. You know, we carry mm-hmm. things that we know work in these extremely harsh environments, especially elk hunting. That's what the whole shop's built around. And targeting. Yeah. That's cool. That's really cool. So uh, what's your favorite of the supplements that you guys sell? What, what is your favorite? You know, I have two favorites, which are not sort of our flagship ones, and that's the probiotic and the pro sleep. Those are my favorite. The, you know, the probiotic, uh, like you, Scott, I'm getting a little older, and my body has changed over the years, and it doesn't like me eating things as much or as spicy or whatever. The probiotic is, is really nice because there is – a real connection between your brain health and your gut health. You will be healthier. A lot of things work better when you got a healthy gut. So that really helps. And then the sleep, man, I have kids and they wake us up at all hours of the night. And the, the nice thing about the pro sleep is it helps you stay asleep longer. So it's not really meant to help you fall asleep. It can help that. But what it's really meant to do is keep you asleep for longer and keep you in sort of that deep REM and so my kids wake me up less in the middle of the night. So that's why I really like that one. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I need some of that right now. I can't sleep at night There's, right now. there's a lot of truth in that. It does, that's a, it does help you. Like we were talking about it the last, the last podcast. I usually take it about 30 minutes before going to bed. And I'll, I'll turn on the I, – I was telling Bridger yesterday, I discovered that uh, Uverse now has given me the World Fishing Network. So I'll turn on World Fishing Network, watch a little <laughs> bit of uh, match fishing, and before you know it, it's my alarm's going off, and it's time to wake up. So, yeah. It's funny. It's, it's pretty good. You guys, you guys need to try it, both you and Bridger. So you I have to, you it. To, uh, yeah, 
you need to get on it. I have it. it. Let me ask you a question. Uh, so I have it, and I've not been sleeping well because of this whole coronavirus. And some of it may be stress induced. I don't know. Um, but I can't <laughs> sleep at night. I'm not going to bed till like one or two in the morning, which stinks. Um, does it? Does it have the hangover effect? Because I've taken sleeping pills before, some different types, and the one thing I didn't like is I get up, and it takes me two hours to get out of my fog, if you want to call it. Sure. Uh, we have definitely not received that kind of feedback from anybody. And, you know, we like feedback. We like hearing from people the good, bad, the indifferent, the ugly. And we have not had that feedback at all. And, you know, something that's important to point out that we try to stress to people is, you know, there's there's a huge difference between drugs and supplements. <laughs> drugs, drugs are something, but like you saw, like a sleeping pill, that's a drug. And that's something that's meant to cause your body to do something it doesn't want to do in a very quick manner. And a supplement is about building up in your body to allow it to do what it wants to do. And so all of our stuff, like Jason's talking about, you want to take it. It doesn't really matter when you take it, but you have to be consistent in taking it. And so if you take your pro sleep every night at whatever, 9, 8, 9 p.m., it's about building that up in your body. And so if you can start taking it for a week, two weeks, three weeks, very consistently, your sleep will drastically change and improve. But the other side of that coin is if you just take it every once in a while and you're not consistently building that up in your body, it will not work. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's something that's got to be a, you're building up uh, a, re- a regimen to, to, to make it effective, essentially. You're building up a bank account and your body relies on knowing that there's money in the bank account. And when you t- drain the funds in your bank account and your body can't rely on it anymore, then it stops working. And so that's the analogy I like to, to give to people is you have to build up that bank account and your body needs to be able to know it can rely on it. So when you're taking your pro focus or whatever, all of our supplements, it, it takes a little bit of time before you see the real benefit in it because you need to actually retrain your body to allow it to know it can rely. These things are available for me. I know I can go get them at any time. That's where the body learns to stay calm, stay consistent and do the things that it needs to do. Whereas if you're sporadic about it, you're not going to get the same effect because your body isn't sure if all that stuff's going to be there. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, well, why don't we take a second and go through. So what's your number one seller? So our flagship is ProFocus. ProFocus is uh, one of the original two, and that is our um, nerve and, and, and calmness supplement, super specialized formula. And that's the one that we're, you know, frankly, the proudest of it. it that was Paul's baby to, to really focus on the professional and competitive aspect of getting people um, really dialed in. And then see if I can actually name the rest of them. So we have ProVision which is uh, a vision health supplement, all the vitamins and minerals that, so you're probably not gonna see an increase in your vision, but what you're probably not gonna see also is a decrease. And so you're giving your your eyes the vitamin A it needs, all the vitamin B, all that other good stuff to where you're maintaining really healthy vision. And you can, you can really see a difference if you see your eye doctor consistently, I know I have, they say your eyes are in really good health. You're, you're doing really well. And it's because you're giving it the stuff it needs. Uh, and so then we also have the probiotic, which is very self-explanatory shelf stable, really good gut vitamin to help your gut uh, stay consistent. We have uh, the pro sleep that we talked about. So that is 
uh, a non-melatonin-based sleep assistance supplement that basically, over time, it's given your brain, it's it's actually really similar to like the rock solid where it's a calming effect and it's allowing your brain to chill out, stop thinking so much and allow you to, to consistently sleep. And then like we talked about, we have rock solid. So that is our sort of specific um, hunting formula one. It's anti-anxiety. Um, we don't market it for this, but we have had incredible feedback from folks with PTSD that have seen some real big benefits from that. A lot of veterans love it. And so I'm real happy to see people um, are, are digging that for that purpose as well. Um, then we have uh, the Promega-3, really nice quality fish oil supplement. Get all your omega-3s. You know, that's the thing that you can't get through your diet unless you're eating a lot of fish. So a lot of people don't have that kind of um, quality of food in their diet and they're not getting their omega-3s it's really important to your bodily functions to get that. So that's a really nice supplement to have. Uh, we have ProTotal, which is our multivitamin. That's like the gap filler, you know, just like any other multivitamin, that's where you're filling in the cracks for all the vitamins and minerals your body needs um, to, to fill out your, your diet and your dietary needs for your, for your body. Um, Jason, am I missing any? Pro joint. Pro joint's the other uh, main flagship one. Joint one's interesting because it's not only helpful for recovery, but it's also endurance. And so it's joints and muscles. And the older we get and the more repetitive you get with archery or shooting sports, you notice you get tired or sort of you hurt in the, the same spots over and over. And so what pro joint actually does, it allows the body to naturally help sustain and maintain cartilage and smooth joints so that you're feeling better. You can last longer. And if you're hunting, you can recover quicker. Gotcha. That's a good one for sure. So I'll ask because um, what's because both of them seem to be like a a focus or a focus thing for your brain that kind of thing. What's the main differences between your Pro Focus and uh, the the Rock Solid? Sure. So they're similar products. They have a slightly different formula uh, to them. The Pro Focus was really created in the effects I think of it are more focus oriented and, and nerves. Um, we have found that when people are actually competing like you Bridger on the competitive circuit, the pro focus seems to pe seems to be able to, to calm people and focus at the same time on the line a little bit better than rock solid. The purpose of rock solid is, is almost essentially just the, the leveling out of your anxiety and, and calming down. And it doesn't, seem to have as great of a ability to manage focus as pro focus does uh, but they are similar in that they're they are both going to help you calm well one of sounds like more for your daily well-being and one more i guess uh, in the moment type focus or yeah i think we've just found the competitor folks um that are having problems with distractions i think that's the real difference so bridger you may have problems or notice that when you're on the line, you know, somebody bangs your arrows, drops something, whatever makes a noise. Pro focus seems to allow you to sort of get rid of that and not pay as much of attention to that. And that's the, really the purpose of that supplement is keep you on your game and, and stay at the, at the task at hand. Yeah. It keeps, it keeps that weird thought from like, man, what, I wonder what I'm gonna have for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> your 18th arrow while you're at full draw. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 
Or usually, oh, yeah. man, that kid's super loud back there. Or something yeah. just <laughs> drifting. But honestly, I, I found that when you combine Rock Solid with the with the Pro Focus, it's just like when these powers combine, you get super supplement. Yeah. Uh, it helped me last year whenever I was traveling overseas, like when I went to Dubai, when I went to Netherlands, you know, you get rid of that jet lag with the, with the sleep. Um, and then all that focus and the rock solid and everything was just helping me get right back on track without having to deal and, and drag with the jet lag and all that uh, distraction of it. So it, it helps. Yeah, there's no doubt. Like I said, I'm that one stuff, the rock solid for me. It's a, I'll take it for the rest. You better not go out of business, bro, because I'm going to take it for the rest of my life. If not, I'm going to to get the formula. <laughs> it, I'm not kidding. For me, it's life changing. And I'm not saying that because I'm sponsored or anything. It was life changing for me. Jason will tell you. Good. I, mean, I ran out of it one time. I started to panic. <laughs> and I was like, Jason, I need some more of this. <laughs> I didn't even know where to go get it. <laughs> Thank God for Jason. Yeah. Well, we two very simple places to go get it aimsites.com and we also are selling everything on amazon now gotcha gotcha that's good that makes it a heck of a lot easier and i hope you know for the listeners out there if you're looking for that competitive edge i mean and, and we all are i mean a lot of our listeners of course are competitive archers and extremely what i call the ocd hunters the the maniacs um this stuff works it's no bs um like i said i've tried a lot of it out there and I think the formulation you guys have done and, and able to complement all those things together, because I'm literally taking every single one of them right now except for the sleep. Um, I'm too chicken to do that, but I'm going to try that this week. <laughs> see what Give it two weeks. See what you think. I bet at the end of the two weeks you'll, you'll like it. I mean, it's one of my favorites now. Because one of the toughest things is, you know, running. I pretty much run about every day and lift every day. And, you know, you go to bed and you're physically wore out, but you can't turn your dang brain off. Right. I'll be sitting there on the phone or watching TV and telling myself I got to go to sleep, got to go to sleep, got to go to sleep. And then I end up getting four to five hours and I feel like dirt the rest of the day. You know, the recovery yeah. period for me on a physical standpoint is not where it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's the part of the, the whole working out thing and that people don't realize is that. And, you, and I imagine, Marty, you probably know this and probably created this for this reason that you, and on the mountain, especially you don't get the rest, the quality of rest you are not going to make it long-term on a big hunt that's seven or eight days, per se. Um, I always tell guys when we're talking about pack pack management and talking about things to take on the mountain, we're backpack hunters. We like to hunt off our back. And um, I will not skimp on my sleeping pad and my sleeping bag. That is probably as important to me as my bow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, people that work out that haven't done that kind of a hunt don't understand, you know, you give yourself an interview your first day in the hunt and then an interview the seventh day of your hunt and you're a different person absolutely uh, <laughs> yeah there's no doubt well you know we i did a lot of research on this about 10 years ago and the average mountain hunter now i say not hunting out of a cabin you know with a beautiful bed and meals being made for you every night but if you hunt off your back um, the average mountain hunter will burn about six thousand calories a day Mm-hmm. Uh, we can only physically carry about maybe two twenty five hundred. You know, you can get your pack two thirds food and one third essentials, and it doesn't work that way, right? Uh, and it's just you're always you're always calorie deficient. You're always hungry. 
um, to the point that I can tell you, like at four o'clock in the afternoon, I know for a fact that's my Snicker bar time. Um, and I, I live for that time period because I love Snickers and they taste so good. They do so much, so many good things for you, both in your mind, you know, mm-hmm. you're getting something that you really love to eat. So it helps, God, it helps the psyche. And then, believe it or not, Snicker bars are crazy nutritious up on the mountain. They're not, you know, a lot of people think, oh, God, it's sugar. It's bad for you. <laughs> you can't eat enough of them things. Yeah. You got to have a little reward. But, yeah. yeah, you know, you're you're almost always going to lose weight. You're going to atrophy a little bit. And you're, you're going to just wear yourself out on the mountain. All the more reason to be the most prepared you can be going into that kind of battle. Yeah. Well, one of the things that was – so I'm kind of disappointed about it. I'm trying to work out a deal where I'm going to go, and I'm probably going to help some guys go call for some guys this year, go hunt pretty hard with a, two guys that I know that are crazy like I am because I wanted to get a chance to use the aim size supplementation on the mountain and how it affects my hunt this year because I didn't do it last year, of course. I just got introduced to it. Actually, Jason, well, December time frame after I got back, um, I think, yeah. is when I on the rock solid. So it'll be – I wanted. I was so excited to see, okay, how is this going to help me up there? Is it going to – you know, it's going to make me feel better. Am I going to be more, more aggressive, you know, more into the hunt if per se, because I know what it's done for me just day to day life. And I think up there, you know how it is, Marty, those things, you're the little things or the, the things that matter in your life. They're just exasperated on the mountain. They get bigger yeah. Yeah. You know, because you're in isolation. You know, you're so focused, if you want to call it that, because you have a singular task at hand. You're not multitasking kids, job, you know, <laughs> bills, <laughs> everything else. Yeah, it's all that work for one moment, and that's kind of the whole thing, right? Yeah. All this work, all this effort, all these days and miles and all that, it's all for, you know, a couple moments, and right. you better be ready for those couple moments. So, switch gears a little bit um, out of the supplementation side. So, obviously, as a mountain hunter, you living up there, you have an extreme advantage over the fact that you're breathing extremely light air compared to us down here in Texas at sea level. Um, what do you do as far as your workout regimen? Is it something that you do on a daily basis? I mean, how do you prepare, you know, for that fall hunt right now? I'd love to say that I work out every day, but that's, you know, that's just not realistic. Uh, you try to do what you can when you do it, but you know, number one, my main goal is to shoot my bow more. Um, that's, that's the biggest thing for me because even if you're not going that far or whatever, if you can't hit what you're aiming at, then you've done yourself a complete disservice and the animal. So you have to be proficient. So that's number one for me. And then, you know, it's a lot of legs, a lot of legs, a lot of shoulders, a lot of arms, because with your pack, your pack's going to weigh you down. And that's probably the biggest, you know, non you weight you're going to have around. So you better be able to carry that around a lot of stairs. And, you know, the legs are the biggest muscles on the body and you're using them, you're burning them. And, it's, you know, I, I hate running. I absolutely despise <laughs> running, but you do it. You got to get your cardio up so that it can happen. So it's varied. You know, I like to, I like to mix it up, not just do the same thing. I know, I know Bridgers, you know, probably just doing the glamour, glamour body lifting, all that good stuff. But yeah, buys for the girls. Tries Cur- the curls for the girls. <laughs> curls for the girls. <laughs> Bridger has shoulders when he's in the gym he always amazes me if he wanted to like really get serious in the gym he could be a bodybuilder i'm not saying that to be kind of freaky or anything but it's reality he's he's got a good physique yeah shoulders stop looking at my body yeah all i do is stare at full time in the gym (laughs) so for funsies let's talk about equipment wise what do you shoot bow wise 
Uh, I'm a big Hoyt fan. I like Hoyts. Um, I've had a bit of everything. Let's see. Right now I have the RX-3. Um, I, the last couple years, I went real heavy on everything because I, I had an experience where I did not get good penetration on a whitetail. And so I just said right there, that's it. I'm never going to do this again. So I shoot an 80 pound bow and a 700 grain arrow now. Heck yeah, man. Heck yeah. That, that's awesome. We're, we're big heavy arrow rebar. Holy <laughs> 700 grains is a lot. Yeah. What yeah. You, so you have to be using a, a system in the front end to get that 700 grains. So it's the Easton Dangerous Game arrows. I put brass in front, yeah. heavy broadhead, and I'm a pretty long draw length. And so that arrow, yeah, she's heavy. that much. She's a heavy, heavy beast. But it's like hot butter, man. Oh, I've yeah. I've shot a couple elk with that setup, and it's amazing. The arrows drop a lot, but I can't um, anything slows that thing down. Grains. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome yeah. we're, we're a big heavy arrow shop we love heavy arrows yeah and so you know you guys know you just have to find the setup that'll get that that projectile motivated in the right direction yeah. and so i like shooting a little heavier poundage to get that arrow going at a nice rate where i can actually shoot long distance you know we're in the west so yep mm-hmm. you know if i if i was only shooting 30 40 yards i'd shoot less poundage but you know we got to reach out and touch something sometimes so yeah you got to get that site housing to be able to shoot long distance. Absolutely. Do you um, do you shoot that arrow for everything now, pretty much? Yeah. You know, I actually. So I also have an eighty pound that I shoot a lighter setup for if I'm if I'm really spotting stalking and I might need, you know, a really long shot. Then I'll shoot a lighter setup where I can get the the site. It's all about the site housing and not getting contact. Right. Um, if I just know it's going to be a, like a long antelope or something like that, um, I'll shoot a lighter setup. Gotcha. gotcha. That's cool. That's awesome. So, what about uh, packs? What do you What do you like in packs? I just got turned on in the Kafaru packs, and for fit, man, are they comfortable? Oh my gosh! I know they're expensive, but I uh, I happened to run into Jason Snyder at a tack event, and he was telling me about them, and I was like, well, you know, is this really all that different? And it really is. I mean, the way when properly fitted it fits on your waist and your shoulders it's it's like it's not there and you can weigh those things down and it can still be very comfortable which i have not experienced in the past i'm gonna say i think it's probably the best pack out if when you load 100 140 pounds in it it'll carry that load as good as anything my only and talking with aaron about it my only issue was it's a seven and a half pound pack dry and i'm an i'm an ounce counter um, but I think that overall, if you money's not an issue, it's it's the best pack in the business without a doubt. Um, yeah, I'm not an ultralight guy, so I don't know. But for for the average sort of backpack man, I like humping that around. What'd you use before that? Who knows? A little bit, nothing of great. A little bit of everything. Nothing great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that Kafaru pack's awesome. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. So have you uh, had a chance to load one out with it yet? Uh, no, I haven't yet. I've been pretty lucky the last, well, I've been unlucky the last very recent years. Um, but before that, you know, you can pack out other stuff and other equipment. I've sort of tested it. I've put weight in it. Um, not an actual elk cord or anything like that, but I'm real happy with it. I just, yeah. the difference when you have that kind of weight sitting on your hips, when it's, you know, hurting you and killing you. And just not killing you is a pretty big deal, especially if you have miles to go. Oh, yeah. There's a pack, there's a pack out there that I believe pro- – I'm not going to name the name because so I'm not here to bash anybody. But there's a pack that probably close to 70% of the hunters probably use. 
And I will guarantee when they put a load in it, if they kill one, it'll be the first thing for sale on eBay. Um, <laughs> I, I, I did it. I did it. <laughs> Great functional pack for bringing stuff into the mountain, but loaded up with 120 pounds. And to your what you just said, it's the hip pressure. Um, I ended up walking almost three miles bent over, literally, mm-hmm. to, keep it, to keep it high. Load lifters weren't doing what they were supposed to be. And, you know, I, the pack was right. It's just not a well-designed pack for load carrying loads and it was a horrible experience <laughs> yeah and that's you know the bummer about it but you you got to test your equipment just like yeah. we all shoot our bows and be ready for that but you gotta at least put some weight in your equipment and figure it out because otherwise we'll run into that and just be suffering for no well, reason i'll tell you right now that i i've told customers this if you're going to go buy a pack and you can find a place that has them you know literally go buy two 50 pound bags of of deer corn mm-hmm. i'm being serious take it into the store and say look I want to put this pack together and load it down because you don't know how good the pack is until you put 100 pounds in it. You know, and yeah. most elk hunters are going to put in between 80 and 120, 140 in a pack because we're trying to limit our, our trips, especially if we kill one and it's hot out. You know, kill an, yeah. early, an early season elk and it's 90 degrees out and you don't have anywhere to keep it cool, you're going to be humping to get that animal out. And uh, I've done that. I, last year, was it a year? year before last, I put one about 140 on my back and I about died at <laughs> three miles. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. All, all packs feel great when they're empty. Absolutely. A hundred percent. You don't test them until you get them heavy. Yeah. And then the pack will tell you how good it is real quick. Yeah. I always, I hate to say it, but there's some, you know, I'll, you know, Sitka tensing some of the lower end packs. They just, they aren't designed to pack out weight. There's nah. No way. Stick with the manufacturer that is building a good pack that's designed for mountain hunting. So that's, you know, it's very important out there. Yeah. And like you guys, you guys know, as a shop, it, it's the oldest adage ever. It, it really is buy nice or buy twice. Yep. And if, yeah. if you're not investing, you know, think of all the money and time you're investing on a big multi-day hunt back to go kill an elk. Why would you buy a $50 backpack to is, actually get your meat out? It is amazing. The guys that I know that will take, and that's what I, I tell them exactly that. You're going to take two weeks off work. You're going to, you know, spend. And if it's an outfitted hunt, you're going to spend seven to twelve thousand dollars to go hunt an elk. And you're going to buy cheap arrows. Are you going to buy yeah. cheap pair of shoes? You're going to buy a cheap, you know, backpack. It makes no sense to me. And plus, a lot of those things are going to be reusable. They're going to be a one-time purchase that you can use for, hell, six, seven, eight years. Yeah. You're going to get your money's worth out of it. So my my grandfather always had a saying or had a saying. He'd always say, uh, "I'm I'm too poor to buy that, buy that cheap crap." <laughs> otherwise, like, otherwise i gotta buy it two or three, two or three times. times a year yeah i'd rather spend yeah. much money once than half the amount more yeah. times so yeah so what about uh, your shoes uh i i just tried the crispy shoes this last year huh? and i i'm a convert man they're comfortable they they take a licking and my i have not had my feet feel better in another pair of shoes and I, you know, I go through shoes about every year, just try something different, see if there's something that I love. And so far now I'm on the second year of those crispies now. And I, I do like them quite a bit. I was a Kenetrex, Kenetrex guy here that converted over to crispy. We became a dealer and it's not the sole reason, but I'm, I didn't want to bring him in. Me and my partner were like, you know, he was a crispy fanatic and I just loved Kenetrex. Um, I always said it was my last boot I'd ever buy because they're <laughs> so terrible. But you know, the you, one thing I loved about the crispy, and I wore them last year. I got a pair of the summits, and I—that's the boot you can take out of the box and wear it to the mountain and go hunt. 
Mm-hmm. I, for me, there was no breaking period. I mean, Bridger wore them last year, and you I, did. Other uh, than other than Redding, the only other like mountain. Well, actually, Redding's the only mountain hiking I've ever really done, and I went to tack last year with actually the summits. And, did and, you go to Bozeman? Uh, Big Sky. Big Sky. Total Archer hour south of yeah. Bozeman. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we did like sixteen or seventeen miles in two days, and like granted, that's not a ton, but I didn't have those boots broken at all. And the only other, like, hiking I'd done and anything even remotely close to a mountain was either Redding or uh, Darrington, Washington for the NFA field, which are both very far from being mountainous. <laughs> right. I mean, there's some big hills and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I did, like, 16 or 17 miles in two days without Right, right out of the box. Right out of the box. I only yeah. had one little hot spot on the back of my foot. And they held yeah. like, Essex. And crazy, like you said, like, crazy, crazy comfortable. Yeah, so I was at the Total Archery Challenge, and they have boots there. A little shout-out to the TAC events. And I just went to the Crispy Dealer, and I said, tell me what's the deal with these boots. The guy let me throw on a pair and go walk around and do stuff in them, and that sold yeah. me. I was like, these are nice. It was great. Yeah, they're they're pretty amazing. So do you wear the Summits then? or? I think so. Gosh, I can't remember the model now, but um, one of them. I like the, the high ankle. Um, yeah. Support for it. It's great. Summit. That's why, yeah, I wear – I like the high ankle ones. I know – Cody, our other owner, and then Scott. They, you guys both like that Thor. Yeah, I wasn't the Thor. I had both. I, I like the Summit better. Cody, Cody absolutely loves that Thor. It's not quite as high of an ankle, but it's a little bit stiffer boot. Um, but it is—it's one of their lightest boots they make. It is. I bet it's less than half the weight of a Kenetrek. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they—they're just very comfortable, easy to break in, crazy. But it's the exact same thing. Yeah, they're expensive. But they're going to last you a couple years. You're going to enjoy hiking in them. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I know I talked to a lot of guys that, you know, that have guided out there, done whatever. They they absolutely hate Midwesterners and they hate Danner boots because everybody shows up in a pair of damn Danner pronghorns. Yep. Which yeah. I'm from Iowa, so I love my Danners. Yeah. I love that I have a pair of Danners that I'll wear forever, but, like, they're just not a mountain boot. Yeah. And but like again, a guy could buy a pair of Danners for 180 bucks, but he's going to blow them out in about 20 miles. Well, that's the thing; people don't realize when you get into mountain hunting, it's a different animal. Meaning that, mm-hmm. so I run a lot. I'm, I'm, you know, I I enjoy running. So one of the things, <laughs> one of the things that that I found interesting when I started to run, and Cody was a my partner. He ran for Bailey. He was a track cross country guy, mm-hmm. and he he told me, and I could not believe this when he told me when I first started to run. This has been 15, 12, 13 years ago. He's like, "You're going to go through a pair of shoes in about six months," and I looked at him like, "Are you crazy?" I mean. I have gym shoes that last years, you know, but he's like, trust me, your feet and your legs are going to tell you when you need new shoes. Mm-hmm. And I never realized it. And then the same thing goes with mountain hunting. We're used to, you know, I'm a Midwestern believer and I'm from Ohio, kind of like Bridger. So I had pronghorns, you know, and I, I actually have a still, I got a set of pronghorns I still have that I probably wore seven seasons in Ohio and I'm now 50 and I've been gone from Ohio for th- 25 years yeah. and I could still wear them today, but they don't realize when you go to a mountain and put, you know, eight miles on them a day or 16 miles a day that is punishing miles and boots mm-hmm. only last one to two years my kenetrex are two years old and they need to be resold already yeah it's maybe the most valuable piece of hunting equipment you actually have if you're in a mountain situation and until you know you've you've hiked the mountains in a pair of boots you figure out how quick or long your hunt's going to be because if you get a hot spot or a blister you know that's a real problem and 
you know, I've hunted in the Midwest. I love it, but you're not doing the angles up and down and side hilling and all that. And that's where the great set of boots makes a big difference between crappy set of boots. Absolutely. You are constantly either up or down. There is no <laughs> walking across a cornfield. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure you have Scott, but if you've side hilled, you know, you're on like a 40 degree slope, but you do that for a half a mile you're going to figure out a difference in boots real quick. Yeah, real fast. <laughs> 100%. So let's switch gears a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about hunting, if you don't mind. Um, Love it. You, you're out there in Montana. You're in God's country, especially when it comes to big game. Um, I always classify elk hunters into one of two categories. Um, the true spot and stalker, the glass guy. I have a friend of mine who does it. He'll sit on a hillside and glass for two to three days eight to 10 hours a day, find that one bull, learn where he's going to the bathroom, what time he gets up to drink and go in in the fifth day and kill that bull. Um, and then you have the other guys. I'm this guy. I'll walk past seven herd. I'll walk past seven herds of elk that are quiet to find the one bull that wants to play. Um, I'm a caller. That's the way I hunt. So, I mean, where do you fit in that category? Somewhere in the middle or how do you hunt? I love the calling aspect of it. I wish I could find seven herds of elk to walk past, but uh, that, that's not my experience. But uh, for me, a lot of the experience other than the harvesting of the elk is to hear them. And if you can call in an elk and it comes to within 10 yards of you and it's screaming right next to you and it doesn't know you're there, there is no better feeling on this earth. It's amazing. And so I love it. I love calling. I love being able to sort of figure them out. Um, kind of cut them off, but to bring an elk to you from calling is, I mean, that's the hunt for me. It almost doesn't matter if you harvested it or not to, to have one so close. And when they scream, you feel it more than you hear it. It's, it's great. It's the best thing ever. Yeah. I have, I literally have, I haven't killed a bull now and probably this is my fourth, this would be my fifth year. Um, but I've called in elk every year like you i get more satisfaction out of the game and the chase of calling being successful there and then whoever's hunting and kills it i'm part of that transaction if you want to call it and i get satisfaction out of that i don't necessarily have to let loose the arrow for me it's just not that way for me anymore yeah don't get me wrong i love killing some elk and i'm sad <laughs> i'm sad when i call them in and it doesn't work out and that's just hunting and that has happened a fair amount probably more than it doesn't happen but yeah um, man, to, to get an elk to respond and then to fool them basically and get them to come into you, that's what it's all about for me. It, it's crazy. And if you're lucky enough to put it all together and, and put one down and have a great, great trophy and a great story and a ton of meat, then that's just the, you know, the gravy. Well, you know, I was talking about those seven herds. What I meant was I'll go into a canyon, you know, call out, do a calling sequence, wait 15, 20 minutes. And if there's nothing there, I'm in the next canyon. Yeah. I'm like at seven canyons and there's probably elk in those canyons to some degree. But, if, you know, and I last year with the guy I went with, I think I was getting him frustrated because, he, A, I mean, you're calling too much, you know, and, oh, my God, we're not giving it any time. You know, there's got to be elk in that canyon. Let's go find him. And I'm like, you know, to cover that 800 square acres of forest will take us two to three days yeah. on a bull that doesn't want to play. And chances are you ain't going to see him. Um, and I'll go past those seven canyons to find the one that's got the guy, you know, the bull that wants to, to play around and, and we'll go and kill that bull. And it's just, it's a different way of hunting for sure. Cause I'm definitely the guy that everybody likes to talk to about on the YouTube and the internet, you know, over calling, you call too much. It's bad for the elk. You know, I just don't care. 
Because if he's not willing, yeah. to, I, I have it. I grew up turkey hunting, and I think turkey hunting and elk hunting are somewhat similar. Um, I my grandfather always told me you can't kill a quiet bird. Yeah, you know? and I feel the same way about elk hunting. Um, yeah, I, you know, opinions vary, and you'll get people that whether they barely call and just spot and stalk in, or they call their heads off. They both work, and it's not like one is better or inferior. It's just, you know, if you like doing something, then do it. You know, just get out there and hunt because yeah. for everybody that says it's one way, you'll have just as many people saying it's the other way. Yeah, and, you know, and I don't think there's any doubt that we're probably not calling in that 360, 380 class bull year in and year out. We're definitely getting that 300 to 330 class bull, that younger five- to six-year-old animal. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're dumber. There's no doubt. Um, but I, I just don't care. <laughs> I'm not a bone. <laughs> I'm not a bone collector. Um, I I think most guys get just as much enjoyment out of killing a 300 inch bull as they would a 360. Yeah, sure. We'd all want to kill that big giant, but it depends on how you want to hunt it, you know. And yeah, he was going to be at what time? Very little calling, you know, involved in it. Um, yeah. Because they, like you said, they get big for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Quite- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, the, the calling is just so much fun and to get an active bull that's playing with you, that's, you know, chasing his herd around, man, it's just, it's so indescribable. And there's so many people that haven't experienced that. It's just a shame because it's once you taste it, man, that's it. It's, it's like a, a great drug, man. Oh yeah. One of our customers last, he's been on uh, one of the famous ranches, the, the uh, Tertio down in Southern Colorado, you know, so mm. it's a big, very expensive elk hunt. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, and he pays a lot of money and he, he's killed one bull out of two years, spot and stalk. You know, they watched him go in and kill him. And then the last year, it was a different year, a little tougher earlier on. They weren't talking a lot. And the last day of the hunt, they called in a 320 class bull. And normally you're going to this ranch to kill a 360 plus, you know, end up to 400. And he told me that, that bull came in hot. He he uh, he he was at 18 yards. Reared his head back. Let out a big loud bugle right in front of him. Freaked him out so bad that he couldn't even get his rangefinder to stop shaking to get the range the reading <laughs> before it shot and killed him. And he came back from that hunt and he told me, "I'll, I'll never spot and stalk ever again, ever. Yeah. I don't care how big he is or how little he is. I want that bull screaming at me at 20 yards." <laughs> That's right. See, now you got everybody thinking all they want to do is elk hunt now. Forget all these deer and stuff. Go well, elk hunt. Say that. Mule deer. Is it, uh, you have a passion to kill those big muleys? You know, I've, I've really gotten into muleys more than whitetails in the last couple of years. I mean, we have both in Montana. They're both fun, but they both are very different to hunt with very different territory. And, you know, muleys are just so different and they're not really as prevalent as whitetails around the country. So, yeah, I sort of switched gears to try and go muley hunting now. It's, they're fun, too. Yeah, it's amazing. When I was up and we, we hunted with a buddy of ours that lives in Broadus and it, uh, he had very little whitetails on his ranch and tons of mule deer. And we wa- we've watched that switch over the last 12 years where mm-hmm. the whitetail are moving in. And actually, I think I don't know if I'm right or not, but it seems like the mule deer and the whitetail, deer, whitetail do not like living together. They seem to be somewhat competitive. Um, but we're seeing less muleys and a whole heck of a lot more whitetails. And he's all excited. And I don't care if I ever kill another whitetail in my lifetime, being from Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> and it's hilarious. I'm like, bro, I want to go kill muleys. And he wants to do nothing but kill those whitetails. You guys are in a u- unique position. You have both. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and it's nice. You could, you could literally hunt both on the same day and, you know, they have overlapping areas and all that. And I'm not a biologist. I don't know exactly how, how they do their habitats, but um, you can definitely find both within pretty close proximity. And so that's nice. You can, you know, hunt a whitetail in the morning, go for a muley in the afternoon if you really felt like it. Do you guys get two independent tags for that or is it one deer tag? One deer tag. So it's either there's, one. Yeah, I mean, there's some other things you could sort of do for special draws and stuff like that. But in Montana, we typically get one deer tag, one buck tag, and it's either, depending on the area. Got you. So when you guys are drawing your tags as a resident, do you get a tag for that animal and then you can kill it with any weapon or do you is it weapon specific? Uh, as long as you have your archery stamp, it does uh, apply for both archery and uh, rifle season. Gotcha. Are you allowed yeah. to hunt archery equipment in rifle season? Yeah. Oh, so you guys can hunt lesser weapon. That's good. Yeah. That's cool. I didn't know that. That's yeah, awesome. it's nice. We, we try to make it simple, I suppose. Archery season's longer. You can use archery equipment during normal rifle season, um, but you just have to wear orange, so that's the only real caveat. Okay, so you got to wear orange. Gotcha. Orange during rifle season, yeah. Archery season, you're all camo. All camo. Gotcha. So do you um, uh, do you do you actually hunt with your bow during rifle if it gets to that point, or do you switch switch gears? I usually will pick up the rifle if I've been so unsuccessful in archery season. <laughs> I sort of look at it as like, man, the clock is ticking. You better get off your butt and do something right now. And and I mean, it is easier. That's yeah, that's well, the bottom line. So. This guy sitting next to me is a stalwart archer that shoots for a living, basically, and he don't care. <laughs> dead, dead is dead. Is dead, dead is dead. Don't yeah. What, what I think it, for me, it has more to do with the wife is saying, you better start filling your tags and getting hunting season over with, so why don't you increase your odds? <laughs> she don't want you being gone, what, 20 weeks out of the year? <laughs> yeah, she's like, you know, you do have a family and kids, so maybe start thinking about less days in the field. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> so, one thing that I seen last year that I was surprised, at least in the areas that I hunted in the West, there seems to be a movement. A lot of guys are using white tail techniques. I've seen more tree stands last year in the woods than I've seen mm -hmm. in the wild. I mean, is that a tactic that's becoming more prevalent up there in the, in the Mountain West? A little. I'd say it's by no means prevalent, but there's definitely people that are figuring out. And I've hunted in the Midwest for a long time. I like tree stands. I think it's fun, but nobody does it here, at least used to be. And so you are now starting to see people figuring out heavily used trails, stuff like that, and using some more Midwest tactics to hang a tree stand. I'd say probably not a lot of climbers, not a lot of people are bringing a climber, but they'll put a lock on on and just leave it there for a while and see how it goes. Yeah, exactly. That's, last year I seen, I know in Colorado, I've seen three stands and I think I've seen two in Montana. I was kind of surprised, but like you said, heavily traveled, obvious elk trails, you know, and or deer trails that were being used. Yeah. I mean, there's situations where it would work, you know, over a wallow, something like that, but the train is so varied and they, you know, they move around so much that I think a lot more people are in it for the spot and stock and they want to do that more than just sit in a tree stand. So yeah. I don't know. I do, I do see more. I'm starting to see more. So do you fish at all? Cause you guys got great fishing in Montana. You can't live in Montana, not fly fish. It's a sin. They kick you out. <laughs> no, Isn't there a movie about that? that? <laughs> that's right here that's in my town that's where a river runs through it's my town that's your town wow yeah. last year we were in that like i said on the big hole in butte and 
elk hunting in the morning, get to fly rods and go fishing in the afternoon to catch your limit of fish. We'd eat in that afternoon. I'm telling you, that was one of my favorite trips. I've and I'm first time on the Western Slope and being around that kind of environment. It, it made me want, I I could live in Butte, Montana, so easy. Love the town, the closeness, proximity to the great hunting. Yeah, the fishing is epic. Like you said, it's amazing. Yeah, it's nice. You know, a lot of folks will do that. It's hunt in the morning. If it's a little warm in midday where people are taking a break, people throw a line in, do a little fishing, whatever. Yeah. Very, very common. And I mean, we just have so many, you know, blue ribbon streams and rivers and it's hard not to fish when you live here. It's hard. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you something else too, though. You guys are hardcore when it comes to that. So we got this i was we were up there for like four eight 16 days i think it was and the last four days it went from like 67 high we woke up to 11 inches of snow and it was like i think 22 or 3 degrees out we go to go hunt that afternoon and there are guys waiting and floating that river yeah i yeah. Could, i mean it was cold it went a little yeah. cold, really cold yeah i know i'm a wuss Bridger laughs at me. Scott has Scott has uh, acclimated the Texas weather. Well. <laughs> <laughs> it'll yeah. be it'll be sixty five degrees out, and he'll walk outside. And be like, man, you've been outside. It's freezing. <laughs> sixty degrees outside. Yeah. He's gonna get that way. Me, me and Jason have already called it, right, Jay? When it gets to hundred five down here, I've I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll tell I you. Mean, I've, I've been climatized to this. I grew up in this. I remember. Man, I think it was my my second deployment when when I was in Iraq back in 2006. I had a one of my young soldiers. He's from Oregon. Used to the cold weather his whole life, and I remember in the summer, July, we went outside and we're inside one of the aircraft. I look at the um, the temperature gauge on the windshield, and it was I think it was 138, 140 degrees outside, and this kid was just melting. I was like, yeah, I'm just gonna take my my top off and wear my brown shirt. I'll be I'll be good. That's right. You'll be suntanning. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta understand. We have like nine months of winter. So if you like fishing, you just have to learn to fish in the cold. That's just how it works. Yeah, I agree. That's well, we watched it. I couldn't believe it. I was shocked. Yeah, we fished hey, in the cold about sixty-five. <laughs> <laughs> barely even touch the water. It's almost. It's barely even sixty degrees. Yeah, no kidding. It's not 65 degrees here now. <laughs> what, what is the temperature right now? I'm just curious. It's, I don't know, probably 58. I doubt we broke 60 today. Yeah, that's still nice. That's not bad. Sounds heavenly. <laughs> yeah. It's nice. Don't get me wrong. It's nice. Yeah. Well, I always find it funny because you all are out there running around in shorts when it's still 40, 35, yeah. 40. No big deal. I think you guys are nuts. <laughs> I'm in this flannel shirt and hardy long folk. johns. <laughs> hardy folk. There you go. Hey, we didn't ask, I wanted to ask another question, go back to the topic of uh, your gear. What um, The polarizing topic of broadheads, what do you use? Uh, man, I've shot a lot of different broadheads, and I've I've liked a lot of them. I think the, the last broadhead that I liked that I ended up continuing to use, I, I've really grown, grown fond of the Ramcats. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've sort of gone away from mechanical now just because with a lot of spot and stock, I have found that I'm, I'm getting those arrows popped open on branches and bushes and this is and that's is, and, uh, it's just a real pain in my butt. And so I like to carry, uh, like maybe two or three expandables and then a couple fixed, um, that obviously fly similarly. Uh, so the Ramcats, I know they're sort of a hybrid design, but they're, they're essentially, um, 
not mechanical, potentially right. fixed right. blades. So I like those. And then um, what's the mechanical that I like? I'm sure it's a rage. Uh, yeah. Like the rage hypodermic and, you know, all those are kind of the same now with their different collars. The no collar I like actually. The rage no collar I like a lot. That no collar solved all the problems you were talking about. It's just awesome. You squeeze it and it's closed back up and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. I'm, I'm shooting them now and I love them because the collars you don't have to worry about. You know how you shove them in your quiver and you push them too tight and the collar breaks and then right. you're screwed? You don't have the no collars. I think the coolest design because you don't have to worry about that anymore. It's awesome. Yeah, I think it's great. I'm just sometimes too lazy to continue to just pop them back in. So I like a broadhead that I don't have to mess with. <laughs> Interesting. Have you killed an elk with a with a uh, mechanical? Uh, oh yeah, for sure. In fact, I don't think I've I don't think I've killed an elk with a non-mechanical yet. No kidding. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Because maybe you, so you're not as crazy as all the guys down here in Texas. They, it's kind of like a sin to use a mechanical on a bull elk. Your boy here's shooting a 700 grain arrow. He could shoot it with a <laughs> he could shoot it with a Saunders blunt point. And it's gonna go through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know there's you know people love having an opinion about that stuff but when you think about it you know these are just razor blades on you know i call it arrow a broadhead delivery device that's all it is and so a, a well-placed shot will do wonders for killing elk oh yeah any animal my grandfather always said you can't kill an animal too dead yeah because he used the biggest baddest thing that he could to shoot at so shoot with that's yeah awesome. it's just like guns you know you can have a huge gun and if you don't shoot it in the right spot, it's still not going to get the job done. And you can have a small caliber and get the job done with a great shot. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. There's no doubt about it. So just switch gears back over to target archery a little bit. So you're basically an indoor guy. Um, mm -hmm. Have you ever wanted to or had the chance to like to fly out to the east to shoot like the ASA events? Or, have you, or is that something that you ever wanted to try? Yeah, I've wanted to. My family obligations keep me here pretty much. But, like, I go to Vegas every year. I enjoy going to Vegas. I'll do our local tournaments and stuff like that. Eventually, I would love to go out, maybe even have a booth there at ASA, something like that. It'd be a ton of fun. It's just right now, my kids are pretty little. It's it's hard to spend the extra time right now. But I'm hoping to get there someday. Yeah, you, you guys would kill it at an ASA event booth-wise. Kill it. Be fun. There's a lot of manufacturers there. And, you know, you're, you're putting – roughly 3,000 people that are archery driven, you know, in one, one compact little area besides the range. It's, it's, I know the retailers do really well. And I think, yeah. I think your supplements would be amazing, you know, for that out there. Paul doesn't get a chance to get out there much. I know he's not a big, big, huge 3d guy. So he'll dabble them in there. I think when he can, but Paul has shot every single ASA for the past three and a half years. He four has? years. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just edit that out. Yeah, we'll pretend you didn't say that. Let me mark Paul's that. Paul's going to be very offended. Every ASA. Every, he shot every ASA, though, at the very bare bones. I've seen him like at two or three years. Maybe. Huh. That's, that's like at least two years. I thought he did another there. three that you've yeah. gone to. He hasn't shot <laughs> three in three years. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sorry, Tedford. I don't know. He knows why we know each other. I did, I've did. i literally <laughs> seen him like two events. <laughs> <laughs> I've had dinner with this guy numerous Paul, times. Paul at never goes to ASAs. He only we, actually, believe it or not, we talked about we we had dinner what three years ago at the ATA show because I'm big. I'm a huge Prime dealer, and um, when Paul was with Prime, you know, before mm -hmm. he was the last year, and I remember him, me and him were talking about it. He, it was something he wanted to do. Maybe it was four years ago. I didn't know that. Sorry, Paul. My bad. <laughs> I think he has done more ASAs the last several years. Yeah, he yeah. he like me last year. I went to all 
almost all of them last year. Paul Paul kind of adopted doing those a couple of years ago, but which where the um, money is? Man, it's hard not to. Yeah, it's hard not to when the money's there. Yeah, but have you have you ever shot the the trail shoot in Reading? No, so I this year was gonna be the first year I went. I was really excited about it. I'm like, man, I'm clearing my schedule. I usually have this other event that I always do, and it always falls on that weekend, always without fail. And so this year it happened to not fall on that, and I'm like, great, I'm gonna finally get to Reading. And then we all know Reading is not happening. Yeah, that yeah. that tournament is favorite shoot of the year for me. I. I yeah. I don't think I'll ever miss it. Even if I quit shooting and hate everybody in archery, I'll continue to shoot that tournament. <laughs> Let's go. With yeah, that. it looks just amazing. It's yeah. it's phenomenal. They did a great job last year fixing the course back up after all the fires and everything. And uh, I don't that tournament is absolutely unbelievable. I always have a blast there. And from a hunting perspective, if you enjoy hunting and being outside and all that, it's I don't know. Even shooting target gear, it's a good little crossover between everything. Mm-hmm. So. Are you guys still doing 3D events, or are you, uh, have you heard through the grapevine how your organization is going to handle that, opening that back up? I haven't heard. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if anybody knows. You know, It's going to be a weird time. How we're going to do it, I would presume we're still – once we start coming out of this, it's not like it's going to be just back to normal. It's going right. to be a gradual thing. And so I don't, I don't know how you have events with a lot of people and maintain social distancing. I don't know how we're going to do it. Yeah, Bridger and I have been talking about that, and you know, there's been a lot of discussion about them doing this social distancing thing for the rest of the year, or actually even yeah. in 2021, 2022. And you know, let's be honest, how do you run an indoor shoot? With that being said, you know, you got a guy 18 inches from you, theoretically. Um, you know, Bridger, Bridger made the comment. Well, you put two guys on one target, you know, and shoot multiple lines throughout the day, and make it a five to seven day event to get all the bodies through it. But then, does that become a you know a, a loss a loss for the organizations? And does it make sense to do it at that point? Yeah, I would assume nobody wants to do that. But it's going to be a weird time for sure. I don't know how we're going to do it, but I don't know. I hope some people smarter than me figure it out and and make it somewhat good. I mean, nobody's going to be happy, right? Nobody's going to be like, "This is great. I love doing it this way." It's just going to be something we have to put up with for a while and try to get through it. Because, I mean. The pros, like you, Bridger, I mean, that's how you guys pay your bills. All of us are talking about losing our jobs and this and that. Well, that that is your guy's job. And I know some people are lucky enough to have a salary plus, but most don't, right? Most are depending on that contingency. Yeah, we we all, you know, we all lost our jobs and would have been the beginning of March. Yeah. Right in the middle, right in smack dab in the middle of March. First half of it anyways. So, you know, with NFA, with the... uh, Indoor national getting postponed right away, and then oh, really? That's two tournaments. So if you top eight at USA, uh, you know you got you got to win close to thousand dollars that week. Yeah. What do you and Jason think? I mean, what do you guys see? I mean, you guys are the ones that are actually competing and actually out there. How do you think it would work to make an event happen? Man, I don't know. I think the first thing you'd be able to do is is uh the 3d or like an outdoor field style shoot um you know like a reading or nfa field or uh asa ASA or ibo event um but even then you know you get one guy to go down to the target to pull the arrows or check the arrows and he's touching all the arrows and uh, (laughs) yeah you know i i don't know it's interesting i don't know what will happen like you said hopefully somebody a hell of a lot smarter than us figure something out so yeah, you're going to have to implement a lot of uh, 
sanitation things, like a lot of mm. hand washing stations, a lot of hand sanitizer stations, things like, things like that. But a, a trail shoot or an ASA is a lot easier to manage when you have people cycling through a target than having, you know, a hundred people on a on a line shooting at the same time, and you're in a one meter box, uh, two at a at a target. You know, the the whole USA Archery mm-hmm. World Archery Tournament format's a little bit more difficult. Plus the indoor, like Scott was saying, you know, you got a bunch of people inside, recycled there, all this other stuff that goes against all the recommendations. That's going to be a little bit harder to manage. Um, well. Yeah. You know, the sad part, Jason, I don't know if you've seen it, but heck, it was all over the news two days ago that, you know, the the Olympic Committee, they're right now they're pessimistic about these games happening next year in Japan mm-hmm. is, is their stance right now, you know, and that's that's crazy. You know, that's a year away, essentially, and to have that kind of position now I think is a little remiss, but, you know, I don't know. I mean, Marty, what about from your standpoint, is this, you know, what do you think? What's it look like coming out the other side for you and your business? I mean, do you think that this is going to, you know, be a slow build up into back, back to normalcy? Is it something you think is going to people are going to be going, oh my God, I can't wait to get out and shoot, and it's going to affect your business positively? I mean, have you guys thought about that? Have you looked at that? Or yeah, we've thought about it, but I mean, you know, it's hard to have answers to anything right now because you know our product is somewhat of a luxury product. You have to have some money to be able to buy it. Our supplements aren't free and people are hurting right now. People don't have the kind of paychecks they had, not working as much, whatever, particularly our market, people that are competing and there are no competitions right now. So mm-hmm. it's gonna be tough. Um, I'm hopeful people will decide that they make health their priority and do it. But if not, you know, we get that too. You know, We're trying to run specials where we're lowering the prices on stuff and, and get stuff out. but it's going to be a weird year, man. It's just going to be a really strange time. And I think the goal for everybody should just be, let's just hope we can get back to normal sometime soon because between now and then it's just not going to be ideal for anybody. Yeah. You, you guys are an advantage. You having the, uh, you know, an internet present, I think is going to be real important. I mean, you did the right thing if you're on Amazon and stuff, because I, you know, we're actually, we've, we've been talking about, Hey, how do we get a better internet presence? How do we get, you know, online? Because it may be somewhat the way of the future, you know, Archery, just to a degree, though, to get anything fitted right and do it properly, you've got to, you've got to have hands on. But you're you're going to be in a little bit of advantage there with your product line and how you guys do it. Yeah, we're we're lucky in the aspect that we don't need to do sort of the you got to be here kind of thing. But you know, there could be some silver linings that come out of this. There might be opportunities that we haven't thought about before to do stuff online. People don't have to come all the way to the shop. Who knows? But it's just going to take figuring it out and hopefully a couple things working. Well, Jason. Oh. I- kind of talked about it yesterday we got to remember that even though it feels like we've been locked inside forever there's still eight whole months left of the year for us to figure this crap out yeah 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 we were all in vegas in february and before most of this even happened right and man speaking of vegas i just saw a uh, a special 99 dollars for night or three night, four day stay with flight included. You have eighteen months to use it at the Westgate. So, wow. start booking it now. Seventy bucks. Yeah, Vegas is going to have some deals, I think, coming in the next year because that that town's hurting. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Yeah, we've got a yep. couple casinos here in Texas that are shut down as well, uh, and they're they're going to be hurting 
here in the next couple the next couple months. So we'll see how that yeah how that comes around. But still early. Yeah, there's as long as they don't shut down hunting season, I think we can all agree that's going to be great. <laughs> so you know what's crazy, didn't they? Uh, I don't know if Montana did, but I know a lot of states shut off the non-resident turkey and spring bear. Yeah, they did that in Montana for out of state. Yeah, there was a lot. I think most of the states did it, um, and there is a lot of fear going on. I know down here, some of the guys were talking about it, looking at some of the forums that are out there that. You know, the state has set the precedent now by doing that now, and they will have the ability to do it very easily come the fall. And there's a lot of people nervous about, is my tag still going to be good, you know, for this coming fall? Because, you know, let's be honest, if this thing drags out, which I don't think it's going to, but if it gets into July, it could get scary. You know, some of the states could pull some triggers on that. Yeah, it'll be real scary, not just for the hunters, but the outfitters. I mean, Montana is heavily a tourist state. A lot of our economy is based on hunting. And if we don't have, you know, non-residents coming in, that's going to be just even more bad news for everybody. Oh, yeah, because the guides and the outfitters especially. I mean, heck, I know where we were, there were probably four independent um, fly fishing guide services just on that, I don't know, seven-mile stretch of river we were hunting. Yeah, and, um, you know they they their business goes to zero. You know, yeah, no ability to make income, and that that would be horrible. Yeah. Well, now that we talked about the end of the world, before we close out, <laughs> what are you planning on any like big hunts this year, or are you planning on just staying in Montana doing killing a four hundred inch elk and calling it? <laughs> I do plan on the four hundred inch elk. That's definitely in the cards. Uh, I do all my Montana stuff, and then this year. I'm going to go to Kansas. I'm going to hopefully shoot a stud whitetail out there. Um, I thought I had another out of state. I don't know. I usually throw in something else over there, but I try to get in the Midwest at least once a year, and then uh, the rest of my time I spend chasing those elk and, and mule deer up here, maybe throwing an antelope. Who knows? Yeah. What, what part of Kansas are you going to? Uh, somewhere near Manhattan. It's the first time I've been to this place, so check it out. It's a good area around there. I have a couple buddies that live – live in and around manhattan and i mean there's some hammers out there there's some big mule deer there as well yeah it's exciting i was always good tough to get your tag there but uh yeah i used to hunt illinois a lot i like illinois whitetails those are fun but gonna try kansas this year why not Heck yeah yeah i bet if you would if this was like your second year for iowa well no i bet there were just as many tags put in this year as last year because our iowa's uh tag or their application period ends at the end of January so so I think I bet Iowa's still going to be pretty pretty close to the same as far as tag numbers for out yeah. of stickers anyways but yeah so you guys has this conversation um, influenced you guys to want to come to Montana and hunt don't move here we have enough people here but maybe you could visit and hunt <laughs> you know I do want to live there that's one of my goals um, but no I was to, uh, Bridger and I were planning on going we were both going to put in the tag I was going to take him up there let mm-hmm. him and put him on a big bull because I, I want to get one in front of him because he this guy would go nuts. <laughs> I mean, buck fever at a whole new level. Um, so, but I know a lot. It's it is my favorite place to hunt in the state. I mean, in the in the state, all the states in the union for for me. I just I love it up there. You guys have a so you it's a, I think it's a very good herd that is very boisterous. They love to play. I mean, they do get quiet, of course, but nothing like hunting like Colorado or some of these other states where there's so much pressure. Yeah, we got a nice big state. There's lots of places to go, and you know, so the, the elk vary, of course, but it's it's good hunting. 
on a serious wow. note, you mentioned you know going out and kill a big bull elk. Do you hunt mostly all public land, or do you hunt private? I do both. Uh, I have a really good friend that's one of my best friends that's a guide, and I'm lucky enough that they let me sort of hunt with them. And so I, uh, I do a little bit of that, and then if and when I'm unsuccessful there, I got plenty of uh, public places that I sort of know and really like. And again, it's it's just about the experience and going out there and, and playing with them a little bit. So I, I'm just as happy to take a buddy that, you know, do some calling and have them shoot if I got, you know, commitments elsewhere or whatever. But a lot of it's just getting out there, getting out there. And, even, you know, it's all about learning, too. I'm by no means the world's best elk hunter. In fact, I'm probably on the bottom rung of that. But it's fun <laughs> to go out and constantly learn and just hear the different things that are going on. I mean, that's what it's all about. You born and raised in Montana? No, I'm uh, I'm from Nevada, actually. But, gosh, I came up here. Trying, I went to school here for – I actually went to law school here. I moved up here in 1999. Gotcha. So – have you laid eyes on a 400 inch bull in the wild? Public? Seen one, wasn't real close to it, but seen, seen one. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've been, I hunted the brakes for a few years and man, the brakes has some nice elk in there. Yeah. Oh yeah. 400 is kind of like the Holy grail, man. That's a tough one on public land. But oh, boy, they look so different. They, there's a normal elk and then there's this just Godzilla of an elk. And that's really what it takes to grow like that. You're just like, what is that? That's an elk. Oh my God. Well, it's like watching a, a, you know, a group of 130, 150 inch bachelor group of whitetails walking around. And then all of a sudden, 50 yards behind them, there's 100, 190 <laughs> plus 200 inch whitetail yeah. walking behind. You're like, that's a different. Is that animal. the same species? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. Seriously, it, it looks like a mutated, freaked yeah. out version, like just a massive version of whatever the hell it is walking in front of. Them. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Just, I know we're going to wrap it up real quick, but I do have one more question. Did you guys have, um, you know, a lot of people don't realize, at least from, in my opinion, this is an opinion, but it, it requires a really good snow base to get the melt, to get the water, to get the feed up high, to get the grasses growing that really will jumpstart their rack growth right now, what their antlers are going to look like. Have you guys had a really good spring so far and a good winter? Uh, I'd say no. We had very light winter. So our, our snowpack, I think, I could be wrong. I'm thinking it's below normal. We we just didn't have a lot of snow. It's not like it didn't snow at all, but I think we're probably below average. But, you know, that means we maybe didn't have as big of a winter kill off, but I think they might be hurting a little bit for water. So we'll see. Right. Yeah. Because that always, I think that predicates what antler growth looks like. And then I've seen it on the flip side where I've been in Montana one year. One of the bulls I've got here in the shop is a, you know, he's a 324 but he's got what we call little candy canes on the back, which are his sixes. They're not even mm -hmm. too long. Um, and that was because that year I killed him, which was five years ago, you all, Montana had that summer drought. Mm -hmm. And so none of the bulls finished good. They all had very weak sixes. Um, and it was, it was kind of, it's kind of sucked. So I know there, I always thought that it takes a really good amount of moisture to keep, you know, nutrition values up to get those antlers where you need them. Cause like last year, I always said last year I thought was, the year of the 400 inch elk because i thought everything ended up perfect good wet spring wet summer and i know that a lot of my buddies killed some giants last year you know they don't exist in montana don't come here to kill those kind of elk leave them for us <laughs> don't go there <laughs> exactly. only live in colorado Marty, man, it was a yeah. uh, this was actually probably our first um, podcast we've done that has not been 100 percent target archery related mm -hmm. well know. we did that one with cody yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right. So, but second one then. We normally don't talk a whole lot of hunting, but 
you know, right now it's kind of weird because of all this coronavirus stuff. Most of our customer base has shut down target archery aspirations, and I've seen more bows come in here getting ready for elk season this early. They never yeah. come. Everybody's got the time to prepare for it. Yeah. And, you know, and in all reality, that's probably the next next thing that we'll all be able to do. Yeah, this elk season will be the mm-hmm. big one. Yeah, so. yeah and that, that's a good thing. People should get their equipment done now. Have some time behind it. Get it right. That's a great thing. I wish people came in this early anyways instead of coming in the day before turkey season to get their bow ready for turkey season. <laughs> exactly. Coming in yeah. before whitetail. Or, oh, yeah. There's no doubt. But, Marty, we appreciate it, man. It was great talking with you. Um, keep fighting the fight. Love your products. Hopefully, we'll, you know, we'll be able to get you guys a push on our end because we believe in the stuff. It's awesome. Um, and uh, good luck to you in the future. I'm going to have to keep in touch. I want to see some big pictures of a 400-inch bull this year. Will do. Appreciate it, you guys. And, hey, good luck to you guys, all the independent archery shops and, and archery in general, man. It's going to be a tough time for all of us, but we're a good community, so we can get through it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, take care of yourself and stay safe out there. Thanks. You guys, too. Thanks, man.